You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. previous episode. You were recognized by Village Voice, which is a pretty big deal back then. Well, the, actually, I wasn't, but Super Creek Cowboy Band was, right. and they were noticed. Oh. After I had left that band, they went and, and they were quite a hit in New York, and uh, Village Voice called them the South's Hottest Honky Tonkers, and uh, my band played, uh, Bill Liley band played, a couple of times at, at Watkins Glen Speedway in uh, upstate New York. And New Yorkers hear it all. You know, some uh, between New York City, you can hear any kind of music you want to hear at any hour of the night. And there's been so much great music that's passed through there. Um, when we played there, we had just, I guess, enough genuine uh Roots rock, roots country, roots blues, roots southern rock. They really appreciated it and they really loved us. And and obviously that's what happened with, with Super Grid at the Lone Star Cafe and when Village Voice rec, uh, recognized them and, and made that mention. Yeah, but you were you weren't you a co-founder of Super Grid Cowboy? I was. I was. There were there were uh, it was me and Clyde Maddox and and Danny Vinson and uh, Dave Cavanaugh, and we had a couple of uh, James Earl Stocks and Alfred Ward. We had a couple of different bass players that that went through in the the early years. Uh, And it was, uh, and they still play some. Uh, I left the band in 77, just kind of, so to speak, just to, to go in business for myself. That's all it was. I love the band. I still do love the music. And it was I learned so much there. It was just kind of time to to fly out of the nest, well, so I to speak. It. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah, I, I have the reason it sticks out because I like the name. I like the, these off the wall. It's a great mutual combination of words. So, Super Grit Cowboy Band. Now, how do you come up with it's that? It's a great name. Clyde Maddox came up with that name, and yeah, Clyde did it. And 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 it was, uh, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great. Uh, it's a catchy name, and it it was really good for for obviously for marketing because yeah. it was catchy, yeah. and uh, it, it, and it, it definitely stuck with the people in New York, you know. <laughs> it stuck stuck with the village voice. Well, yeah, so. any any uh, group with a word cowboy in it, I like it because I'm a Cowboys fan. You're a Washington yeah, yeah, Redskins yeah. fan, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. But you know, they've been between when in, in games between those two teams have been some of the best games ever played in football. Oh, yeah. Especially back in the especially when you had uh, Tom Landry exactly. against George Allen and Tom Landry against Joe Gibbs. That's as good as it got. That's what I was going to say, you Tom know, Landry. Regardless of who won, you saw an incredible game by some superstars and super coaches. Oh, yeah, Sonny Jurgensen. Craig Morton, uh, Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach, man. Harris in the Roger background. was the guy you did not want to get the ball yeah. back. 
yep. with two minutes left to go. Yep, yep. Because he would hurt you. Cowboys had he that would hurt minute. you. Yeah, Cowboys had that two minute drill down too, and uh, it's, it's scary. Yeah, it is totally scary the way that they do that. Probably over the years, or at least let's say pre Tom Brady, better than anyone has ever done it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were incredible. Yeah, I was so disappointed um, when uh, Jones brought out the team and so unceremoniously released Coach Tom Landry. Without I'll tell you a good story. Go Let ahead. me tell you a good story. You might not know this. Uh, it, that was very unceremoniously, and, and, and actually it was very rude. And it infuriated uh, the Washington team, the Redskins team. It really? infuriated and so uh, Tom Landry was given, was told that there will be a limousine here to pick you up, pack for a couple of days. He was taken to the airport, put on a private jet. He was flown into Washington, D.C. and taken to a ballroom. And when the doors opened, there was every Redskin player in there that he'd ever played against and coaches from Jurgensen and Kilmer, uh, to John Riggins and Joe Theismann and Sammy Ball and, and, and Gibbs and, and, and all of them were there. And they inducted Tom Landry into the Redskin Hall of Fame. Oh, for that's all beautiful. Great games that between those rival teams. And he said, I never thought I would go to Washington and get treated better than I was in Dallas. Amen. That's so true. And ever since, now, and you know, that's that was that was a class thing to do, though, because Tom Landry was a class act. Yes, he was. And to me, he was the Cowboys from the uh, '60s to the early '70s. So when that happened, it just pissed me off. And uh, I never, yeah. oh yeah, Jones. never forgave Jones. And whatever happened subsequently, uh, you can't get something like that out of your mind, you know. So. No, you can't. No, you can't. It just, it could have been handled. It would have been so easy to handle it better. Exactly. Tom Landry was watching fi game film when he was fired. I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. The way uh, Jones, the present owner of Cowboys, handled such a legendary and gentleman coach. Couldn't believe it. I know. Right. I know. And everybody <laughs> loved and respected Landry uh, on and off the field. Yes. He was a gentleman. He was a great coach. He was a mentor to, to so many players. Uh, and like I say, this, you know, when he had Roger Stallback and they were down by less than seven points, you didn't want to see Stallback get that ball back. He yeah, he was a scrambler, remember? He was a scrambler. You oh, never knew. He was incredible. He was he he made magic. He was one of those guys. That, it's like in music, you know. You you either make magic or you don't. Well, there's people in sports: Michael Jordan, Roger Staubach, uh, Tom Brady. There's just certain people. Michael Jordan. They make magic. Well, you and I are lucky because we we were, we were alive to see all those. Exactly, and that was a a golden era uh, for football as well as music. That was an incredible era. I grew up actually being a, a, a Baltimore Colts fan, a John Unitas fan. And then after, <laughs> after the, the team moved, you know, uh, I didn't have anybody to watch. And then every Sunday Washington was on TV. So I kind of, you know, they, they became an adopted team to me. And, but the first game I ever saw, and, and it was a classic, it was a Monday night game. And, uh, it was uh, 
the Monday night game that as time ran out, Ken Houston put a tackle on who was the running back that did the skull commercial? Walt Garrison. He stopped Walt Garrison on the one foot line as time ran out in the in Washington won that game. How about that? And that was that I, I think, man, that's as good a game as you're ever gonna see. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. Nah. And uh Johnny Unitas with his flat top haircut. Flat top haircut and high top shoes. And never said much. I don't remember mm. saying talking to him too much either. It's what a generation, man. It was an incredible generation, and I remember uh, Joe Montana saying that, that that was his idol. And when he was traded, I think to was it Kansas City? They asked him what number he wanted. He said, "I want 19." Yep, because that's the number John United's for. Yep. yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember, remember Len Dawson of Kansas. Oh yes. Same era. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. And the and the and the and the the Madden magic, all the magic that happened around John Madden in Oakland. Yeah, no, that's crazy. All right, let's let's get back to you, man. So in 1980, uh, you you were uh, selected to sign with RCA label. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how did yeah. that? I mean, you had well, to. Well, there again, good. that was it was it that was a uh, uh, after World War Two. My mom was from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and she'd grown up there, and she joined the Navy, and my dad was in the Navy, and they met in the Navy. So she was a waif. She was a waif, wow. and she was, she was in, in, in uh, the post office. She made sure that the, the mail got to the sailors. And, um, but after the war, um, she convinced my dad, let's go back to Fayetteville, to use our GI Bill and go to the University of Arkansas. And so my dad and mom went out there and my dad, they both enrolled. My dad went to school full time, played music and worked as a meat cutter. So he had two jobs and school full time and finished school in 33 months, which is wow, pretty tough. Uh, but he uh, in the he was playing with a jazz band out there. And the, the guy who was the leader of the band was one of his best friends. And we would go out there when I was growing up in the summer and we would visit with that family and they had two sons my age and I had written after I'd left Super Grit, I was working in a small recording studio uh, in Kinston, North Carolina and I recorded 10 of my songs and a friend of mine put them on of all things an eight track tape and, and it's a eight track tape. So he said, if, if you're playing some little old honky tonk or something, you, you can sell these and, you know, bring in a little extra money. Well, I sent one of those eight track tapes to my friend out in, in, in Arkansas who, who played music, uh, the son of my dad's friend and their next door neighbors. We'll get back here to the, to the, the, the Texas connection. Uh, their next door neighbors was, was Frank Broyles and his family, the coach of the Razorbacks. And uh, uh, Frank Broyles played golf with Floyd Kramer. And somehow that eight track got put into Frank Broyles' hand and it got put into Floyd Kramer's hand. And, and Floyd Kramer called my house. Wow. So that's how the RCA thing came about. I never sent them anything. They, it just, I guess it was meant to be. You know, what you must have sounded awfully good to get RCA label back then. I mean, that's a pretty serious label. That's a pretty serious label. Yeah, they were, 
they 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 liked what they heard, and I was thankful that they did. And I it was. At, it, I think at that time, it, RCA was probably bigger than Sony, so it was one of the. They were the biggest uh, country music label in the world, mm-hmm. and then later, years later, a German label BMG bought RCA, and then later Sony bought both bought all of it. So they bought BMG, which got them RCA as well. It was, you know, kind of the big fish eating the smaller fish kind of thing that happens in corporate world. Now, uh, at that time, you put out several uh, albums and CDs entitled um, Prodigal Son, Higher right. Ground, From right. the Old School, Railroad right. Station Blues, and Cobalt right. Blues, Motel right. Blues, and Requiem Mess. Right. I like all those titles. They have well, a very distinctive meaning, you know? The The... The songs on Cobalt Blues, two of those songs, did really well in the beach market. That's how I kind of crossed in to that back in 1999. And uh, I got five Cami Award nominations. And then finally, in 2000, I won Best New Artist. But two of those songs that were on Cobalt Blues were nominated for Best Blues Song of the Year in the, in the Cami Awards. And um, so that that's how that connection came about. And that's how I just kind of got back in into that market, which uh, if you play blues or, or mine's more jump blues, um, up-tempo blues, it's really, really hard to get any airplay. And, and the beach music uh, uh, DJs, if they like it and you're getting played, they 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 they're really good to you, you know. They're, they're and and it's it's wow, you know. All of a sudden you say, wow, I'm getting airplay, and I'm you know, and this is basically just you know uh, the way I hear jump blues, the way I hear this song, and all of a sudden it's on the airwaves, and you're doing something you love, and it's getting played, and people are dancing to it, and you're getting on the charts, and you know life is good, oh, absolutely. but you're just but you're just doing something that you're passionate about anyway. Right. And if you, you know? do something that you enjoy, you're never working, right? Well, you're never working. Right. You, you, well, or they said, uh, what's the other thing? Said, find something that you love to do because you're going to work really hard. So it might as well be is something you love. Yes. Because it, there's no way around it. You will work hard. Yeah. You know, just, just to survive. Yeah, I understand uh-huh. So when you got signed with RCA at that around that genre, you know, five years later, whatever, did you feel that you have arrived in any sense? I felt that I was on the right path. I mean, it was really cool to to go out to RCA Fanfare in '82 and to to be on the label with Waylon Jennings and Dolly Parton. I actually signed my contract in Chet Atkins' office because his secretary was a notary. And then Chet shook my hand and says, well, good luck to you, son. And you're out there with Chet and Jerry Reed and, (laughs) you know, Dolly Parton. And I mean, all the superstars, you know, and you're on the same label. That's the that's the cool part. The downside is you're on a label with all these superstars and you're at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, but you're in good company. Yeah, you're in really good company. And, you know, so you're in good company, but there are a lot of people ahead of you in the pecking order and deservedly so because they've been there and they've established themselves and they are they are truly superstars 
you know. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Um, but but yeah, it was it's a wonderful experience, and I met some really 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 good friends, good people out there. Some of them became became friends, and uh, some are uh, unfortunately are no longer with us, as sure. happens as, as as we get older. Um, but uh, I met a lot of the the Nashville elite, and uh, um, attended. Uh, cool recording sessions, not just mine, uh, people like Charlie Pride, just sit in, you know, sitting there and, 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 and they're so nice, you know, they're just so down to earth. Like we talked about earlier, just one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet, you know, uh, no ego, no, you know, just, just people, you know, uh, it was, it was a wonderful experience for me. And, and needless to say it, regardless of what you do, it does look good on your resume. It really does look good. I can see that. And, you know, when I go, you know, I see a lot of beach bands. I go to different ones and I have my favorites and some less so. But one of my uh, litmus tests is that how they come across as a human being, you know. And for the most part, I have to say they're friendly. And But you kind of get some of them like they take themselves too seriously. You know, it kind of turns me off. You're a musician, you know. I enjoy your music, but it doesn't make you anybody any better special than anybody else. You know? No. And, no, and the thing is, if you take that attitude, you hurt yourself because all of a sudden you've kind of, whether you meant to or not, you've kind of put up a barrier between yourself and other people. You've alienated, you've alienated yourself from the fans. Exactly. That's exactly what you've done. And, and not only that, uh, just as a person, you have made your life less good by doing so because you're missing out. Yeah. You're missing out by doing that. And we will be right back after this important message. Don't care about me, baby. You don't care what I do. Don't care about me, baby. And we're back. What's your favorite album so far that you put out? Probably the, well, favorite right now would probably be the five song EP that uh, the Juke Joint Jimmy's uh, EP, which is five songs that I did with uh, uh, Martin Davis band, Derwood and, and Tony. Uh, that's Juke Joint Jimmy's Get Out of Town. Uh, uh, and three other songs. And of course it's new. And so, you know, anytime something's new, but, uh, I can honestly say that I can look back on all of it and I'm, I'm proud of all of it. You, you get to be your own harshest critic. And if you can go back and not say, Oh God, I hate hearing that song. I wish you'd just go away. I'm fortunate I don't have any like that. I can say I'm not as fond of that as I once was, but I, I'm proud that it's on YouTube. I'm proud that people still like it, you know. Uh, That's good. That's good. Um, people will be hearing the songs that you've mentioned through this podcast because we're going to put them in. Well, good. That's good. That's yeah. good. I appreciate it. Yeah. I do. It's good music. I've heard it. It's uh, true, uh, true and pure. All right. So in terms of definition, 
How would you categorize blues as a genre? What, what is the distinction of blues genre as opposed to some other style? It's a huge umbrella. I mean, because there's so many different types. People think of blues as slow. Well, no, it's not. There is such a thing as slow blues, but there's jump blues, which is up-tempo blues. There's swing blues. You know, there's a blues that, like I play, that people shag to. Um, it's a very uh, large umbrella with a lot of different types of sounds. And it's traditional blues. There's blues rock and roll. Uh, there's heavy electric blues that, that I, I love because I'm a guitar player. Like when Clapton was with Cream, that's, you know, one of my all-time favorite bands. You know, I like to hear that power trio kind of, of blues. Uh, in, in recent years, uh, Joe Bonamassa has become really popular, and he's kind of uh, done well with that uh, as being – and Stevie Ray Vaughan did incredibly well with it. Uh, such talent. I mean, he was, was the real thing. Such a loss when, you know, when, when we lost him. Um, but I think one of the one blues artist said uh, uh, blues is just a, a, a good man feeling down. And then B.B. King said the, the difference in, in blues and gospel is in, in blues, you say, oh, baby, and gospel, you say, oh, Lord. so there's a lot of different definitions and they're all pretty cool you know i like that both definition a good man down (laughs) that that was good too it is good and it's true to some extent you know because even you listen to uh in rhythm and blues think of uh the temptations how i wish it it would rain what a great song and that's a story about just a, a good man down He's down. His girl's left him. You know, he just feels at the, you know, as low as it can go. You know, (laughs) it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Broadly speaking, Uh, broadly speaking, you know, you think the best music still ahead of us or behind us? I think it's behind us um, because I think that there's, it's become all like so many businesses and the, uh, the, it's called the music business. And there's so much corporate control. There's so much big money in it. And a lot of times uh, artists are uh, rather than being discovered, they're created. Um, oh yeah. And, 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 and that wasn't how it was when we were coming up, you know, you had to you had to have something or you never got off the ground. It didn't happen. So I, I think in a way it, it's it's behind us, but it doesn't mean there isn't still good music to come. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that okay, we're 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 sunk. There'll be plenty of good music to come. You'll just have to search harder for it. Okay. It's gonna be out there. Okay. You have to look more for it. I can live with that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, with Google, it's not a problem. We can, as long as it's out there. With YouTube and Google and, and, and exactly. There'll always be people who want to share good music with their friends yeah. who want to say, oh man, you're going to love this. I've got to turn you on to, to this, to this band you might not have heard. Absolutely. So that'll always be. Good to know. And, and that's a special feeling when you can do that, you know, share something. Go, Wow. Absolutely. 
I think music adds so much to uh, life existence. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's a it's a language in itself, and it can create so many emotions. Just the sound of it can evoke so much emotion, memory. Just you can go on and on about what it can do. The power of music, you know. Uh, uh, that's that's what's so special about it. Yeah, it's very you unique. Know, it has the ability to to bring people together. The ability to help people heal. The ability to to do all the good things. The yeah. things that are necessary. Yes, music is unique, and yet powerful in how it exactly uh, people's emotions. Exactly. Yeah, you know what, exactly. I appreciate masters in anything. You know, whether you're a sushi chef, master, oh, or, yeah. or samurai source master. I mean, a master mechanic. I I just love to see masters in action because they do things in their field and make it look very easy and simple, and yet you know it's very difficult when some other person tries absolutely. And every time I go to these uh, functions and I see musicians, I mean, I really appreciate their mastery of their instruments. When I see these lead guitarists, lead guitarists picking their guitars and just playing it, or saxophone players, where to me it's like, mm-hmm. wow, they are true masters of their craft. Now, on top of that, some people also compose songs like you. So you well, not only try- play your guitar, but you're also a songwriter and you compose many of the songs. Now, being a, a guitar player and being a songwriter seems to me that it requires a different mental set of skills. So I've- what is a good uh, songwriting ability? I think... Um... Knowing a lot of stories, uh, of course, reading a lot helps. But think of all the great blues artists that were that were illiterate. They couldn't read or write, but they could tell a story. They could remember a story. They could convey that story or that feeling. You know, it it, it songwriting. Um, I guess with probably my biggest musical influence being uh, the Beatles, Lennon McCartney were such good songwriters and of course Harrison was too and I mean I grew up on that knew it I mean I can play their whole catalog in my head and then uh my mother was a writer uh I always paid attention to song lyrics and then when I got turned one thing that drew me in the first place to, to outlaw country music were people like Christopherson that were great lyricists. They could just tell these incredible stories and Willie Nelson and those guys. And to me, that's what's, that's what's really missing in, in country music now is there are no great storytellers and everything seems so dumbed down. Um, And I, I just, I can't appreciate that, but those guys, all of those, all of those people, uh, and and also the man you go to the the stories uh uh all the the Smokey Robinson songs all the 
the Barry Gordy songs. The lyrics are phenomenal. They tell a great story, all of them. And they tell something usually that we can all relate to, which makes it even better. Absolutely. Uh, and so all of those people were big, big influences on me. And so uh, a lot of times I'll keep my chord progressions relatively simple. Like you join Jimmy's a three chord song. I, 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 I joke that, you know, if a song's got more than three chords, it's, it's an orchestra piece, <laughs> but you know, uh, but you need a, you need a little story to go with it. Something that people can have fun with or enjoy or relate to. And, um, so, um, sometimes they'll just drop out of the sky and, and you pick them up like, like, like a radar, or sometimes you'll keep bits and pieces of working things in a notebook or whatever. And you, you'll go back to it if you need a line or something, or you need something that's just, and then all, sometimes you just find the perfect thing that you're looking for and you knew it was going to work for you, but you didn't know when. So you just wrote it down and stored it away, kind of archived it and said, okay, I, you know, this will be here when I need it. And, and that's how, uh, and, and, uh, it's, uh, I, I remember <clears throat> Paul McCartney said, I think one time his biggest writing influence was Cole Porter. Really? And I think, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause his daddy was a jazz artist, jazz, I believe, uh, maybe a pianist. Who's, whose uh, father was? Paul McCartney. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he may have been a horn player, but he was a jazz musician. Okay. And so Paul grew up around jazz, and Cole Porter was was his hero. How about that? And if I'm not mistaken, I think Jackie sang a Cole Porter song the other day, right towards the end of the show. Yeah. I mean, you know, his music is timeless. He tells these great – I mean, you can take it and reinterpret them or do so many things with it. It's like uh, – uh, um, heard it through the grapevine, look, look at the original. And then look what John Fogarty did with it, with Credence. And John was another good songwriter, but he yeah. recognized a good song when he heard it and one that he could make his own. Yeah. He could take that song and make it his own. Yeah. yeah. And so if you do somebody else's song, don't copy it, interpret it. I like you know, that. That's yeah. what I've always tried to do because I can't copy anybody. I can't. I can't even play the same guitar riff twice. I mean, I really can't. So every every take or everything's different because I just you know I guess it's good for uh, improvisation, but I can't repeat it. And you know, so you take something that some people will consider disadvantage, but turn it around and try to use it to your advantage. Right. You know. Right. Uh, so I will try to keep the music, just enough music to, to get across what I want to say. And I try to avoid being a guitar player to get into, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not being critical here, but I love Stevie Ray Vaughan very, very much. I, I think every guitar player does. And if they don't, they should, <laughs> but a lot of, the songs that he did were simply vehicles for him to solo, which he was brilliant. I mean, he never let you down and the songs were great. I mean, they worked for that purpose, but I said, what I want to do is 
if I can, I want to try to write a song that gives me an opportunity to solo, but also maybe tells a, a good story along with it. And I'm not saying that his don't tell good stories. Some of them tell awesome stories, but, and I'm just using that as a random example, but I think you can do both. And that's what I, I try to do. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't know if I'll pull it off, but that's what I try to do. And, um, so it's like, you want it to have a, a little bit of merit to it lyrically. And, and then I feel like, okay, the music part will, it'll fall into place. And then when it's time to, 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 when you get in the studio and after you get the, the rough framework of the song done, if you listen carefully, the song will tell you what it needs. Just give it all that it needs, nothing less, nothing more. Don't overdo it. Huh. Just give the song what it needs. Huh, and that's, that's, that's my formula. For, <laughs> for better or worse, that's my formula. Well, it's been working for you. So well, that's interesting. So in the end, you play with it and then it'll fall in place. Yeah, just listen to it. Listen to what you're trying to say lyrically, where you think what, you know, does it, does it, does it call for uh, a Hammond type organ part in it? Does it ask for uh, uh, another solo or does it ask for fewer solos or what? Just listen to, to, to the song. Does it, does it sound like, man, this is okay, but it re you need to write another verse. It needs an, an extra verse to it or another chorus or something. Just listen to it, you know. And, and, and to Tom you. Petty's Tom Petty's formula was, uh, all you know, he wrote so many great songs, uh, and but the hook lines, the choruses were, it, it's like I went to one Tom Petty concert and it was like a sing along because everybody knew the words to all of the song. Right. His formula was "Don't bore us, get to the chorus," <laughs> you know, because that's what everybody would sing along is the right. chorus. Right. Free that's fallen, right. for example, or she was an American girl yep. or, you know, all of those, you know, and they're great. You know, they're great. And a lot of that was patterned after the Beatles. So, I mean, you can tell the Beatles were a huge influence. And that's probably why he and, and George ended up together in the Wilburys. But, yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 just different people's formulas and uh, listen to as as much as you can what it's if you want to be a writer read as many different writers as you can if you want to be a guitar player listen to as many different guitar players as you can and as you learn their parts and everything you'll start kind of putting this piece with this piece with this piece and then after a while you've kind of got your own sound that's where it comes from i got you that's yeah. good yeah. yeah whenever i hear uh tom petty's tribute bands you're right they all sing along at the chorus part yeah sing along with the chorus <laughs> it's powerful and, and 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 same way with the think about it if you go to a mccartney concert and he starts doing the beatles stuff everybody's singing along with the music right you know yeah. and yeah. it works and and that, that probably goes back to his uh to his influence from cole porter how about that yeah. that's that yeah. american impact yeah, exactly. And and there we go. Back to America's greatest export. It's pop culture. Cole Porter was pop culture, but it was from many years ago, but it was still popular culture. I hear you. And we will be right back after this important message. She said, 
don't you know more? Pack up all your things. Don't let your ass hit my door. Don't call me on the phone. Just leave me alone. And we're back. Hey, you okay. good, man. Does uh, melody come first or lyrics come first? Usually. Sometimes one, sometimes another. It, it, it varies. And then sometimes the guitar riff, a, a main like riff will come. And then you'll, then you'll think, what words do you think of when you hear this riff? And usually if they'll come to you, it'll make other people think of it as well. So it's try, don't force it. If it doesn't feel like it fits, put it away and come back to it another day or whatever. Uh, you know, that's good. you're not on a you're not on a time line here. You don't have to meet a deadline. You know, just you know, right? Or at least I don't. There's some successful artists that do because they've got you, you know you got to have this next album ready by such and such. Well, that's I think that's happened to me once. That has happened to me once. I said, okay, this one's doing really well. You've got to have something to go behind it. And I had to change. I was recording uh, uh, an Americana country album, and I had to get out of that mode and go back into a blues mode. So I went home, got some CDs, got my Sony Discman, and listened to Freddie King and Leon Russell all night, and, that put, and J.J. Kale, and that put me in the blues mode I wanted to be in. There you go. Now, most of your songs, what is the theme mostly about? It varies. I mean, I wrote one, one of the best songs I've ever written, uh, Dark Glasses, was uh, about a cancer patient, about my mother, when I was taking her to get her uh, cobalt and, 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 and chemotherapy. And I remember uh, we were... I mean, she was always upbeat and we always had a good time and, and and I knew she was terminally ill, you know, but it didn't stop us from having a good time. Um, 4.30 every afternoon, I'd mix us both a Jim Beam and Coke and I'd carry it upstairs to her and she'd pour a shot glass full of liquid morphine for the pain and take that like you drink a shot and then drink the drink behind it. Oh. And we'd talk about whatever, you know, but I took her to a treatment at Rex. And uh, and it just dawned on me. I'm watching these people walking around with these IV poles and everything, and and then I it just hit me. The finality hit me. A lot of these people aren't going to be around in six months, and your mom's one of them. And my eyes started welling up with tears, and I reached for my sunglasses, and I'd left them home of all days. And I wrote this song. I, I picked a hell of a day to forget my dark glasses. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it just depends, you know. I mean, it can be a painful experience to stick with you the most because they're the ones, you know, when mistakes or pain or whatever, that stays with you. I think even longer than the, than the happy ones. The happy ones do, and they're great. But, you know, when, when it's like when you get stung, you don't forget it. Right. You know, whether it's by a bee or whether it's by somebody you love or whatever. It stays with you. Right. The Rex yeah. that you're mentioning is the name of a hospital in uh, Raleigh, yes. North Carolina, for the people that are wondering what Rex he, he was referring to. Uh, now, in your and, position, you go ahead. 
finish. Oh, and and they they're now part of the UNC system too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, they've got they've got a, a really good facility there. And they were when she was being treated for cancer there, the cancer center didn't exist. The doctor was saying, "Well, we're, it's you know we've got well she she didn't get the benefit from that, you know, yes, but okay. you know it, it wasn't meant to be, you know." Right. Yeah. 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 What can you do about that? You know, you can't, you can't do anything. You just, you, you did the best you could. You got no regrets. You said goodbyes lots of times and you had a lot of fun together. And then when you see somebody hurting and hurting and hurting, you, you go, man, it's time to let go. It just didn't want you want. You don't want to see that for somebody. Yeah. You sound like a good son. I think it sounds like your mother had a good son. Well, I had a good mother. Yeah, I had a really good mother. When when my dad took me to Atlanta Pop, she went and she's a writer, journalist. She wrote up, she wrote it up for the News and Observer, two full pages. And two weeks after the Pop Festival, she got the center section of the entertainment, both pages, double page with uh, color photos. How about that? News and Observer is a uh, Raleigh, North Carolina newspaper all around the area. And and it used to be much bigger than it is now because I think newspapers in this country as a whole are most of them are shrinking in size. Right. And in Europe, people still like to buy their paper, drink their coffee, and read it and turn the pages. Yeah. And it's it's not like that here so much. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Changes of technology, I guess. Uh, You haven't done both. You rather compose or perform? I like to do both. I love to be in the studio. It's fun to feel something, you know, make something. It's like a chef cooking a, a dish, you know, like you, we were talking about a great chef. You see something come start out as an idea and come to a completed song, but there's nothing like the adrenaline rush of playing live when everything's falling into place, the audience, everything's, you know, grooving every everybody's there's no feeling like that in the world it's like you take off and fly yeah so I, I like them both in different ways and you probably want to do both all the time as much as possible uh, exactly and i think that that uh so far as in at my stage in the game i think the writing comes first and then the live performance is a vehicle to present those songs. And I'm fortunate enough, at least let's say with, with Juke Joint Jimmy's, that I've got a song that's, that's actually being played and appreciated on the radio. The DJs like it. The people seem to like it. And, man, I just feel blessed, you know, number that one. they do. Yeah, it's number and, one and right now. It, well, and, and, and even if it weren't, if it were just getting a, a little bit of play, I would still – feel blessed that it's just being played on the airways and people are enjoying it. Uh, but it being able to do something like that and then go out and play it live, you know, <laughs> that's a real, that's a real thrill, you know? Yeah. You appreciate fans, right? Oh, you, you've got to. And, and I, I, I don't think them so much as fans as friends. Cause m- most of them I know, you know, I, I learned one thing a long time ago, and a great example of that is Jackie Gore. Jackie's never forgotten a face. It means something. The other day, he said, I'm not leaving here till I shake everybody's hand and talk to everybody. And he means that. He's been that way since day one. 
Tell us who Jackie Gore is. I know who he is, but for world listeners. Well, Jackie Gore was the is the original singer of the Embers. Uh, I first saw him when I was probably 13 or 14 in 1967. Durwood was playing with him at the time. And I was just knocked out, you know. I mean, totally. I mean, these guys were incredible. And they were both heroes of mine, musical heroes, both of them. And the other day, you know, working with Durwood in the studios, a big thrill. But being on stage with both Jackie and Durwood is having two of your, your heroes since you were a kid there. And, and, and we're doing a show together. It's, it's the same kind of thing as when, when Waylon Jennings was one of my big heroes, I was with RCA and I was on stage with him. It's being on stage with your heroes. It's a big deal to me. Absolutely. You know? And, uh, you beat me, uh, knowing Jackie by 10 years. I met him. Uh, well, I knew of, of him around 1976 when I used to work a little bit at the club they had down at the end of Six Forks Road. Mm -hmm. And uh, they came through once. And uh, so, and then I was gone for a long time. But anyway. Uh, Jackie, Jackie used to, when they would play at the Kinston Country Club, I was just a little high school kid, but I'd, I'd go see him set up and come back at the end of the night. He would go back to my mom and dad's house and have a couple of drinks and we'd listen to music together before we went back to Raleigh. Cool, man. That's good. And that was, you know, man, that was like a, that still is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You have some special people touching your lives. I've, I've, I've had some very special people touching my life. Well, let's continue that, yeah. man. Now you're a little old Eastern North Carolina boy, hmm? small town. Mm -hmm. And you end up in an independent uh, autonomous region of Spain called Basque Country. How in the hell oh, did that it. happen, man? I mean, you crossed well, the pond there. Yeah, I did. Um, I met my wife, Cindy, in 2004. Give us a whole name and, so people know. And, and she, we, we met at uh, a club in Hillsborough, North Carolina. It was called the Blue Bayou. And she had to leave and go back to Spain the next day. So we started writing letters via email. I mean, that's, that's real old fashioned, but you know, when you write a, a one or two page letter every day and you get one back and you write, that's nobody does that anymore. They'll get on the phone or whatever, but you know, back then it was too expensive to call. So we wrote, you know, and then, uh, her mother, uh, was, uh, uh, she had a, a, a doctorate degree and uh, it was either biochemistry or pharmacology at UNC. She worked for James Taylor's father. And so her mother lived in Chapel Hill. And so she, she came back and then we started going out and officially we already kind of gotten to know each other. And she had an apartment in, uh, in Spain. And when after my daughter graduated from high school and my son had graduated and was comfortably kind of on his way. And as far as he was going to go, at least at, at, at East Carolina, we uh, moved to Spain in 2008 and uh, I had a record deal waiting for me with a 
a, a Basque label called Hot Sack Castulo Peco. And uh, uh, I toured Spain. I played in Southern France, Canary Islands, and no clubs. It was all auditoriums and amphitheaters and uh, real appreciation uh, for music. You know, true music. Oh, oh, uh, true music. Yeah. One of the one of the coolest things. Uh, I did a show. The band that I had over there, we did a show with uh, with John Mayall. But the night before Mayall was on, Bill Wyman, the original bass player for the Rolling Stones, and his band Rhythm Kings were there. And Cindy and I were backstage, and we spent about 30 minutes, just the three of us, Cindy and me and Bill Wyman, talking. And I talked to Bill a lot about Brian Jones, the founder of the Rolling Stones. You you wouldn't have that conversation with Mick or Keith, but he loved Brian and was very close to him. And we talked about his passion for archaeology and just cool things. But he was the sweetest guy you ever want to meet. He was just as down to earth, you know, and you're thinking, man, I've listened to this guy since I was 11 years old, you know. Right. right um, yeah. That, so that was a fun thing. But playing one of the shows was in Terrawell, and it was at the oldest inn in Spain. And it had originally been built in 13. 1999. And then the, when we did the show with John Mayall and where Bill Wyman played the night before, that was a 14th century plaza. So you play in all these really cool places. I mean, they're just beautiful. And of course, they they treat you like a rock star, feed you incredible food, and and, and, and paid paid me well. Um, but then after a few years their economy sort of crashed and the sponsors started pulling out of a lot of the festivals and that, and the fact that the guy was doing most of my book and had a heart attack and passed away. And so it, that could be a problem. That, that was a problem. <laughs> and so I started focusing more on coming back and, and, and playing back in the States, playing more in the United States and which, which I do now, I, I'll play a little bit over there, but not a whole lot. And, but it, man, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's, it's like we talked the other day, when you get away from some, when you get away from the forest, you can really see the trees and you, you meet people that can't even speak your language, but they feel like they know you through the music. And that's a really cool thing because it's a universal language. It's totally universal Absolutely. and no barriers, no nothing, no barriers. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you, do you notice any difference between European audiences or European music uh, lovers versus American, North American uh, music fans? Yeah, I do. So. Um, one of the things I love about Spain, it's like going back to the 1970s. It's just a little bit slower. It's a, it's a pace. It's a little slower. And the love for live music, the thirst for live music is, is there every day. You know, it, it will be here now for a while because things are opening up after the pandemic. So people will go, man, I want to get out and hear it. But 
it doesn't it didn't take that it was that way all the time over there it, live music was something that was never taken for granted or you know it was always supported and and uh uh people would would they flock to it you know it was it was it was great it do, was, you find, do you find it that um europeans or other country men and women have more knowledge about the united states than an average American would about other countries. Yes, they do. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll learn things about my own country. I didn't know sometimes, but that's, that's cool too. As long as you learn it, doesn't matter where it comes from. It's a real rush to stay in a little town in Southern France. There was a hotel and know that Lafayette stayed in that hotel and recruited men to come over to help in the revolution and then stand at the little harbor just south of there. It's called Pasajes, and it's a deep water harbor, but it's very narrow. And that he was 19 years old when he sailed out of there wow. to help the colonists in their fight. It puts that? things into perspective for you. It's a real yeah, 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 Lafayette. Yeah, he played a crucial role in the Revolutionary War. Yeah, without, absolutely. Yeah, without friends. There's, there's not a town named after him in almost every state for nothing. Yes, you know. Yes, yes I agree with you. <laughs> I fully agree. And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. I, I just think it's interesting that um, Europeans have such a fondness for American culture in general and American music in particular. And you as absolutely, a yeah, and you as a musician and as a performer, you're essentially acting as a ambassador of a, of a sort because exactly, we'll never come to America, and they will. I, uh, and they will determine what Americans are like by meeting you and how you behave and how you interact. Well, I looked at it as having the responsibility of being a musical ambassador and to meeting these people and to which I enjoyed meeting them anyway. And especially seeing the enthusiasm over music that you're playing or you've written or whatever. And it's like a real thrill to say, wow, you know, for, for just for this day or this moment or whatever, I'm, I'm the only American on this show and I'm playing my music or I'm playing my music along with some Muddy Waters songs or something, but I'm the American music ambassador here today. And that's a, that's a big deal to me. It it's is. important. It is not. You're not only a, a musical ambassador, you are an uh, you are an ambassador because a lot of people will never get to come to America, and so how you behave and how you handle exactly. yourself will uh, people will think that's how Americans are. Which I hope that you do a good job. Well, I do, and 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 the the main thing is be respectful, respect 
their culture, respect. They, they already love your musical culture. You respect their culture. You learn to appreciate it. You try to learn a little something about it. And we both know that in this world, respect will get you a long way. And it's something that it should come naturally. It shouldn't have to be practiced or forced. It should be a natural thing. Right. And the world, the world needs, needs respect is as badly as it ever has. And, uh, I would, I showed respect and appreciation for those, to those audiences. And they, it's funny, um, in Spanish, I is pronounced like double E, E. So I'm Beal, Beal, like B-E-E-L, Beal. And uh, I remember playing a, 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 a venue one night, and there were about 350 people in there. And I finished my show, and they wanted an encore, and they they started chanting, "Go Billy Lily, go Billy Lily, go Billy Lily." Well, I, I couldn't resist this. I had to get up and do another song. You got to respect that. I mean, you know, that, you do. You know, uh, Frank Sinatra, obviously, and years later, after you know he's gotten old and everything, he says, "Why?" Someone asked, him, "Why do you still perform?" You have money, you have fame, every, you've, you've done everything. You know, what more do you want? And he says, um, why do you perform now? And he just, he said this, he started clapping his hands for that. Yep. You, know? you understand yeah. that, right? I do understand that. I do understand that. And especially when you give, you pour out everything you've got, which, you know, I didn't realize my dad told me about waiting in line to see him when he was young sing with a great jazz band and how incredible it was. I mean, you know, in a lot, in some ways he was one of the first pop stars. And then I didn't realize it till years later, but Frank Sinatra was Jim Morrison's idol. He was his favorite singer. Oh, really? And you can tell it in the way he sings because he croons. He doesn't really sing. He croons. But he was a Sinatra fanatic. So, you know, and, and of course, Billy Idol was trying to do his best Jim Morrison, but it came from Sinatra. How about that? You know, it's pretty cool. That? You know, it's, it is kind of like Cole Porter, you know, coming out through McCartney. Yes. You, you never know. Yeah, I, I didn't know. So I appreciate that education. So hopefully, uh, you know, you were a good expat while you were living in Europe, right? Now, well, I, I think that I feel like it that with my upbringing and, and my interest in things and, and learning to experience new things and that it came naturally because I was sincere about it. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. I, I love the culture. I love the people. Uh their stories, you know, because I mean, it's like, what is it, that line in Pulp Fiction where John Travolta talks about, you know, between the United States and Europe is they got the same things we've got. It's just the little differences, you know, and, 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 and it's true, you know, yeah. it, it, it's just the little differences. Yeah. You know, when you were um, sitting at a cafe, a romantic cafe in Basque country in the city, is it Balboa or somewhere? I'm sure they have lots of beautiful yeah. 
beautiful cafes and you're sitting there drinking your morning coffee or whatever, did it ever occur to you, hey, you know, here I am, here I am sitting in this beautiful country, autonomous part of Spain, drinking this strong coffee on a beautiful day, and I'm from a small town in North Carolina. Well, I, I, I really didn't think of it that way so much as I just thought of it that I was very, felt very blessed to be there. And uh, uh, our apartment is in Pamplona, which is uh, where they do the running of the bulls and the uh, San Fermines Festival. Uh, but it's also in the foothills of the Pyrenees. So it's absolutely oh. beautiful. Oh, yeah, it got to be. My, my daily walk, if I'm going to go out and walk two or three miles, I'll go through the old section and I'll walk through the plaza where Ernest Hemingway loved to drink every time he went there. Then I'll go up to the 14th century cathedral and I'll walk up along the, the, the old walls that were built in the 1500s for protection and just, you know, walk on the cobblestones is where, what you're basically doing, you know, and I start wondering, hey, my feet hurt. Well, Duh, you've been walking on cobblestones and you've been wearing topsiders. You should have been wearing something that had a little padding on the bottom. Right. But um, that, sitting outside, sipping coffee, and uh, probably the, one of the most beautiful cities in the world is San Sebastian. And it's 45, 50 minutes away. It's on the coast, on the Bay of Biscay. And it, San Sebastian looks like you took Paris and put it on the ocean. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And Cindy lived there for a while, and one of her best friends lives there. So we, we've been there numerous times. And, of course, when you get seafood over there, uh, right on the Bay of Biscay, it, if you go to the market, what you're seeing in the market eight hours, ten hours earlier was swimming. It's that fresh. Yeah. And the food's organic by law. You know, so you don't have to specify, I want organic food. It is by law organic. The eggs are brown. They're not white. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 the food is incredible. Uh, the seafood is incredible. I love lamb and in the mountains, there's a lot of lamb there because you don't have the, the you can't graze cattle, but the, the sheep can live on the mountainsides, you know, so there's, you know, lamb and and then there's a cider house i love cider house food which is basically codfish cooked on wood coals a big steak cooked on who can't like that you know big old thick rib steak cooked on wood coals all the cider you can drink you know and and everybody's friendly you know everybody's having a good time and that vibe just rubs off oh yeah so when you come it's back the same vibe, it's the same vibe we saw sunday Everybody's yep. having a good time, and it just rubbed off. Did you uh, manage to learn any uh, good uh, Spanish? Let's see. Uno, Jack Daniels, <laughs> y Coca-Cola, por favor. <laughs> uh, you got the most important one down. <laughs> that's the most important one. That's, yeah. that's the most important one. As long as they got good Jack Daniel whiskey, that's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, not as much as I should. I studied Latin for three years, two years in high school and one year in East Carolina. Wow, that's pretty so, good. Well, I, I didn't, I, won't, I wasn't a scholar in it by any means, but I remembered enough of it that, you know, I could take a newspaper and I can kind of make heads or tails out of the words because Spanish is 
called vulgar Latin. Not that it's vulgar words, but it was the Latin spoken by the soldiers that occupied Spain. It's like probably our English would be would be vulgar English to the Queen of England because they speak Cambridge English, you know, and we have a different dialect of the same language. It doesn't mean necessarily one's bad or one's good or whatever, but that's the way Spanish is to Latin and for all the Romantic languages. French, just a different accent on some of the words, very similar. Italian, Portuguese, you know, same thing. But it's it's a challenge, and I'll tell you, uh, hand signs, a few choice words, and hand signals will get you a long way. Okay, you know that's true. You, yeah. yeah, and uh, gracias. That's always yes. important, you know. Yes, yes, and and remember when you're in northern Spain where they speak Castilian, it's gracias. The C yeah. is pronounced like T H. Gracias, gracias, gracias. Give us the first reason. time. Go ahead. Well, the first time I, I heard Castilian Spanish spoken in a conversation, I didn't even realize I was listening to Spanish. It sounded more like French. Yeah, it's a high Spanish, man. That's high Spanish. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you have in the north of Spain. And and it's, you know, everybody, there's dialects. As you get into more southern Spain, well, it's kind of more like the southern United States approach on English. You know, it's all good. It's just different. It's not one's better than the other. It's just they're different. You learn to appreciate them all. People, doesn't mean you like this, doesn't mean you can't like that. Absolutely. You, you like, like all of them. I like all kinds yeah. of music. Uh, All of the above. Uh, Just just because you appreciate one culture doesn't mean you can't appreciate another one. That's right. You know, you know, and you can learn. You can learn something from anywhere you go. That's right. You can. Usually people are doing something because it makes sense and helps them get what they need done, achieved. There's a reason for it. Absolutely. And, And until you see it happen, you don't realize that. So it is possible for a man to like vodka and scotch at the same time. Yes, it is. Yeah, and one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. There you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, give us a, a short Reader's Digest condensed version of Basque Country, what it's about and how it became so. Well, the, the Basque people are the closest uh, uh, to indigenous people of Spain. Now, they're not, nobody knows where they came from. Nobody knows where the language came from. When you, you see the language, it, it looks it looks really cool, and it sounds really cool spoken, but it doesn't sound like anything you've ever heard. And the mask people lived in that corner up around the ocean with the mountains, and and they were they were a very rugged, tough people. When the Romans conquered Spain, they knew don't try to conquer the Basque because you're not going to do it. Just be friends with them, trade with them, make money with them, get along, but you're not going to conquer them. And uh, the sailors, it, it's like uh, uh, we talk about the Vikings sailing over to the New World. Well, uh, you know, there's some people that actually believe the the, the Basques got there before the Vikings and they didn't sail. They row, they rowed. They had the rows, the oars. They rowed those boats the whole way across the Atlantic. 
How about that? I, and I've seen the I've seen the old wooden boat boat regattas where they race those things, and it's amazing. I mean, you got some you got some strong people doing that because you're in the ocean against all those big swells, and you're pulling those oars in unison, and you're racing another boat. And they did this without GPS, right? Without Google GPS? Oh yeah, no! Not only that, if they were whaling and they got off the coast of Newfoundland and they got a whale, not only did they have to row back to the Basque Country, they had to pull that whale behind that boat while they were <laughs> rowing. I wonder how much <laughs> of the whales were left by the time they got back to uh, uh, Basque Country. It was it was probably a little chewed up, but <laughs> yeah, by you know. and everybody else. <laughs> well, about that? and. And, and and they also came with uh, the uh, salted codfish, which was a way to preserve cod, take it on the trips, have food. That was a, a staple, and it still is over there. And, of course, cold water fish, uh, real rich in omega-3. Um, My kind of fish. A lot of two. Well, you've got uh, cod. You've got merlutha, which is a type of codfish, and that exists off the coast of Massachusetts as well. It's a smaller cod. It's, they're both great. Um, you've got a flat fish. It's basically got to be a first cousin to a flounder because it looks just like it. But, of course, they call it something else. Uh, they have rape, uh, tuna, of course. Uh, we get some really good smoked salmon, but that usually comes from the Norwegian countries down. And but I love it. You know, it's it's really good. It's really good for you. Yeah, you it's I just, you, you it's just hard on the wallet. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I can imagine. How did they remain autonomous from Spain? Well, you've got a lot of autonomous regions in Spain. You have the autonomous Basque country, and Navarra was once a, uh, which is where Pamplona is. It's huge. Um, was once considered a, a Basque kingdom. And the northern part of Navarra is very Basque, but it's so big when you get in the southern part, you don't see that much influence. Well, they didn't make it into the autonomous Basque community, but Navarra itself is an autonomous community. And then you have Rioja, which is famous for its wines, Rioja wines. That's an autonomous region in Catalonia. That's autonomous region. And by autonomous, it makes sense. It means that when you pay your more or less what we would call federal taxes, 80% of your tax money stays in your region. So you're, you, most of your money goes to support what's right there for you. Uh, I wish that you was know. the case uh, here in the United States. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it, it makes sense to me. I mean, sure. they, they've got a lot of great ideas and, you know, we could learn a lot from some of those ideas. They, they yeah, work. I, yeah. Like you said earlier, there are reasons why they, the different countries do things the way they do, but until you see it, you think yours is the only, only way to do it. And you've come, become very self-centered well, and arrogant. Well, you do, unless you keep that open mind and you realize, okay, we, we've got some, wonderful things, things that the things that other countries envy, but any and everything can always be improved upon. Yeah. You're never a master at, at your music because you can always get better. And the better you get, the realize the more you realize how much you don't know. Because it opens up all these doors and you go, 
wow, I didn't even know this existed. And you have to keep that same kind of open mind when it comes to everything. Yeah. Because it, it, it just, it can make you and your society and, and everything a better, better place if you do. You know, it's yeah. just, it's all about, you know, stay the, the things that, that work. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it needs fixing, look at some different ways to fix it. Uh, for instance, if you're new in the music business, you're going to go out and hear as many different bands as you can hear, and you're going to get ideas from every one of them. That's how you, that's, that's how I did it. That's how Keith Houston did it with the band of Oz. That's how I'm sure Jackie and Durwood did it in the way back in 1958, you know, with the Embers. That's just what you do. You, you take good ideas, good songs. Oh man, we ought to be doing that song. You won't do it exactly. They will put your spin on it, but you, you, you absorb those ideas and you will and you incorporate it. And if you're smart, you can find good ideas and incorporate them into your culture as well. And if they don't work, don't use them. If they do, why not? You know, anything to, to make, make things better. Yeah. I think you should run for Smith, uh, Smithfield uh, town council. <laughs> I've got my, I've got my, I've got my hands full. Just, just uh, in the music business, I want to stay right where I, where I am now, and and just you know, try to get, try to get better at it. Write, write, write more songs and get more people dancing on the dance floor, having fun, you know, celebrating, uh, tell everyday stories, and make them into songs that people can relate to. Yeah, you know, and play guitar. I welcome that. Yeah. I welcome that, and uh, I hope you will keep it up. Now, what is it? What is it about the Monkees TV show back in the late '60s and early '70s that you like about them? The music was great. It still stands right now. Not and, and you realize, what, what about yeah, the it, music it, that was great back then? Well. If all pop music was great, the people you had some great songwriters, and you know Carol King was writing uh, on on every one of those sessions. Leon Russell was on every one of those sessions playing piano. It was all the Wrecking Crew doing the music. Okay, okay, that makes you know, sense. All of them, and and you know, uh, it's hard to find. I love songs that have a guitar riff. For instance. The last time by the Rolling Stones and Satisfaction. There's a recurring riff in that. Paperback Rider by the Beatles. Uh, uh, but it's hard to find a cooler guitar riff than Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkees. That's just a great riff. How about that? You know, it's just a cool song to this day, you know. Okay, that makes sense. All right, Bill. So what is next for Bill Lyerly? Mm, well, um, when Juke Joint Jimmy's runs its course, we have a song that already ready, recorded, mastered that we hope people will like uh, to go behind it um, with uh, uh, Tony Davis playing drums and Derwood Martin playing bass and keyboards. And um, we we think they will, but you know, you don't know till it's out there. You know, but we hope they do anyway. We uh, we feel it's got maybe a little a little of the same 
magic, though it's a different song, you don't want to hear a something that sounds almost the same. That's, you know, don't. One thing I learned from the Beatles, that every album was different. Don't ever make the same album twice. You know, I, I they were the that. masters of that. Yeah, you've already done that. So go on and try to do something else. Right. Right. And and even look look at the great R and B guys. Let's say take for instance, look at how Marvin Gaye evolved over the years, even though his early stuff, probably my favorite stuff that he ever did, but it was all great. But he evolved. He he you know, he he reinvented himself, but it still sounded like Marvin Gaye. It's still great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the magic. Any closing comments, Bill? Closing thoughts? No, I, I, well, first of all, thank you for, uh, uh, inviting me to, to be on your show. And, um, uh, we appreciate you playing the music. We appreciate all the DJs, uh, playing the music very much. We don't take that for granted. They could play somebody else's tune and forget ours, but you know, you can't ever take that for granted. You got, you've got to appreciate it and savor every moment, you know? And, uh, I'm just, uh, looking forward to recording more, writing more, getting some of the stuff that people haven't heard out and just continuing to try to, Evolve as a guitar player, songwriter, uh, performer. Just, Great. You know. Great. And we look forward to that. All right, Bill Lyley, we thank you for being thank you. our guest. It's my pleasure. On Fry It Up podcast with Augustus Cho. And when you have some good news, we'll come back and we'll update you. Okay? That sounds wonderful. All thank right. you so much. We wish you the best. Thank you. And over and out. Over now.